You're listening to the Debunked Daily Podcast with Mike Bolton. Uncovering the truth behind the news, we dive deeper down the rabbit hole, shedding light on ways to thrive outside of the system in this strange new world. Welcome back to episode 10 of Debunk Daily. I'm your host, Mike. It's not conspiracy theory, you're just an idiot, Bolton. <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to do that in every show. Um, <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. <laughs> I, um, I was speaking with someone last night about, um, well, just about a lot of the stuff that's uh, happening in the world. And um, we, she, she had just posted uh, about all of these um, government resignations that are happening around the world right now. Um, there's, I found for the last couple days um, that we've actually been getting a lot of um, really kind of po- strangely positive news. It's uh, January 16th today. But I, I was finding that it was very odd. I was seeing, like, for example, articles by New York Post where they were saying that, uh, you know, 23 people in, I believe it was Norway, um, had died shortly after taking the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, to me, that's, that's like, it's good news. Only that the only part of it that is good is the fact that New York Post, a mainstream media media um, publication, is putting out real news that definitely isn't the narrative that the uh, the the ruling class would want people to know about, or that big pharma would want people to know about. So to me, like that's that's like it's really great that they're actually. Um, putting out real news for a change, but then it also makes me suspicious. So it's this feeling of like, oh, wow, they're reporting real news. And then why are they reporting real news? (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) So, um, I mean, there was that. I saw a Toronto Star article that um, said that the police won't have the authority to like pull people over or um, stop people unless they they really have like good reason to do so in relation to this new this new like set of like Ontario lockdown slash curfew regulations that they're trying to enforce. And this article was basically saying that the police won't have like that much authority to to stop people. And so, I mean, that was also kind of good news. But I I felt that that was also because the police, there are some police now who are giving the government some pushback and saying, uh, listen, you know, we've we've done our research and uh, we now feel that we're being asked to do things that go uh, against the Charter of Rights, and this isn't what we signed on for. So we want to be, you know, very clear, and we want to talk to you here about the fact that we're on, we're we're not going to break the Charter of Rights, and we're uncomfortable with some of the things that you're asking us to do. So because of that pushback from the police, I think that like 
the Ontario government has had to modify some of what they're trying to get away with. Because I said to someone yesterday, the police are an integral part of the control system or control grid that these people essentially run. Without the police, they aren't able to, to pull off what they, what they want. They need the police to be compliant. So that's really good for us. You ask yourself, like, at what point would this um, whole scam and agenda, at what point would it ever fall apart? Or, like, where could things start to move more in our direction? Yeah, so as I was saying, if you want to talk about something that would actually move the needle more in our direction and maybe make a, uh, a really positive change, I think that the police giving the government some pushback and holding them accountable would be one of those things. Because as I mentioned, they're like an integral part of this control system. If the police start to question what they're being asked to do, as opposed to just following orders, then that's a very good thing. Um, yeah, so I mean, there's even a, uh, you know, there's an Instagram page I follow and they're called uh, Police on Guard for Thee. And I mean, they're more than just an Instagram page. They're like, now they're like a, an organization of, of police, both retired and active duty police that have come together to basically um, stand up for the Charter of Rights and the citizens of this country. So that's a really good thing. Um, but yeah, no, on to other pieces of news that I found to be uh, strangely positive. And don't get me wrong, um, a lot of time when you start to see some of this stuff, you do, you do think to yourself like, is this just a distraction? Or is there like a hidden agenda as to why they are shedding light on some of this actual truth. Um, but I also think that some, you know, there's a, there's also a small chance that it could be because of this pressure that they're receiving from, uh, you know, a percentage of the citizens who are actually starting to push back. Now they realize they have to kind of like backpedal a little bit. Right. Um, another, uh, another headline from Newsweek. COVID lockdowns have no clear benefit benefit versus other voluntary measures uh, internal international study shows. So that's good. I mean, anyone who's been paying any attention at all uh, definitely knows that as if it couldn't be more clear. Like we're destroying businesses. We're destroying people's livelihood. We're... We're going to be running into food shortage situations, but that will be orchestrated. Um, anyway, that's Newsweek. Then we got Alberta is opening up certain businesses and they're also getting rid of their gathering um, res restrictions. <laughs> yeah, that was... Um, Rebel News, uh, that Keenan um, journalist that works for them tweeted that. But it's, uh, I guess they have been changing some things in Alberta. So good for Alberta. 
But uh, Jason, I think his name is Jason Kenny, their uh, premier over there. As far as I know, he's just as much of a, a you know a globalist puppet as uh, any of them. So we'll see. Again, it comes down so much to the citizens starting to push back. And uh, like none of this is possible without people's compliance, right? So uh, then we got a WHO, World Health Organization tweet. Preliminary investigations conducted by the, by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission in Wuhan. So, although it's, it's, it's great, you know, that they're, they're shedding light on the fact that there's, you know, I, I don't know how, how your average per- I think your average person sometimes seems to be able to justify just about anything. Like, oh, okay. We, well, maybe that's just Wuhan, though. Like, clearly the States has human-to-human transmission. Anyway. Um, when I read something like this, or hopefully when someone who can, you know, practice critical thinking reads something like this, they can, they can see like, wow, okay. So no human to human transmission. That would be probably something that applies like across the board. It's not like just people in China, like aren't able to spread it to each other. (laughs) But, um, I have a, um, I have a bit of a theory on this one. I think that there are probably is a hidden agenda with this particular uh, tweet or narrative. And I think it's because, I don't know if you've seen the footage, but there's, in Wuhan, they're pretty much back to normal. And I guess in China in general, they're pretty much back to normal. Um, Of course, the people there, the Chinese, it's more of a cultural thing where they, they wear a mask if they're feeling like they're sick. Um but also because of like air pollution and all of this. So the people in general have worn a mask long before COVID-19. Um, so they're still probably wearing masks in that. But aside from that, um, they're, they're throwing like full electronic dance parties and raves and, and like electronic shows with like thousands of people. So they're very much back to normal. And I do wonder if this WHO tweet about the no human to human transmission in uh, in Wuhan is sort of meant to justify why they are just uh, completely back to normal. And we're just supposed to believe that, oh, there's no human to human transmission. So that means that like, OK, so it just went directly from a bat, <laughs> like as the story goes, a bat in a wet in the wet market from like bat soup directly to a person and then that person spread it to the rest of the world but no further human to human transmission in Wuhan. Okay. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that WHO. <laughs> By the way, not sure if you caught it in the intro when I said I'm your host Mike. It's not conspiracy theory. You're just an idiot, Bolton. <laughs> That, if you're ever looking for a nice little zinger, <laughs> you know, in the, in the comments thread on social media or whatever, like, 
and you're speaking with someone and, uh, you know, you've got some really valid points on stuff that's happening in the world. And you're like, yeah, no, no, this is happening. It's called the Great Reset. Uh, and they're like, yeah, that put on your tinfoil hat again or uh, you conspiracy theorist. And uh, you can hit them back with, uh, no, it's, it's not conspiracy theory. You're, you're just an idiot. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I think that's a, it's a great response. It's a great response. Get some every time. <sighs> can you imagine though? Can you imagine being like one year into this and um, still thinking that this is a pandemic? Like when you've never... You probably yourself have never actually, you haven't seen anyone just drop dead from this or anything like that. But I guess they, they, they don't realize they're not putting two and two together because they haven't done any actual research, right? It's, it's, it's strange and it's sad too, because like some of them even have like maybe family members who have died uh, they think from COVID-19. They, they personally themselves think that their family member died from COVID-19. And to think, and this is the sad part, that with that happening, it's super sad. Don't get me wrong, right? But it's sad in general because that person's dying, not because it's COVID-19. But to think that they're not, because this is probably maybe, it's maybe one of the first times that they've had someone close to them die or um, they are so, so shocked in all of this. Um, cause there is always that sort of, uh, you go into kind of a denial phase as well, right? It's, there's a whole grieving process instead of like also, okay. So, you know, acknowledging you're, you're, you become more like you kind of accept your, your family member or whoever a friend has died. You'd think that they would then go and do more, research on COVID-19 and then eventually figure out like, wait a minute, did my family member actually die or friend, did they die of COVID-19 or did they just die with COVID-19? Meaning, so my dad had like, okay, so, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, someone's dad has heart disease, diabetes, <clears throat> and also has had a stroke in the past. God, maybe I'm starting to think I might have COVID-19 with this cough. <coughs> Jesus. Oh, let me take a little sip of coffee. Ah, there we go. There we go. <clears throat> oh, the microbes. They're attacking my lungs. Anyway, um... <laughs> Uh, it's not funny, I know. It's not funny. Okay, so yeah, you'd think that they would, you know, do some deeper research and realize uh, this person probably didn't actually die of COVID-19. They just died with COVID-19. They have all these other things, other problems, you know, whether it be cancer, heart disease, diabetes, stroke, whatever it might be, obesity, you know, all, all these different things that can put someone in a more vulnerable position to die of anything. And uh, they're not realizing that um, 
this person, this loved one of theirs is, was, uh, you know, diagnosed improperly with a false positive from a PCR test and told that they have COVID-19. And then when they die of another cause, they are then on the death certificate. It's counted as a COVID-19 death when in actuality, it should be called a stroke, heart attack, cancer, pneumonia. People die of pneumonia. (laughs) Oh, not to mention, I may have said this in one of my earlier podcasts before, only about 15 to 20% of people, and maybe even lower, survive once being put on a ventilator. So if these people are put on a ventilator when they don't need to be on a ventilator, sometimes it's the ventilator that's killing them. That's another thing that you, you don't really hear about. Um, <clears throat> okay, so... Yeah, sorry, got a little distracted there. Let's get back to it. Um, this uh, this friend of mine. Okay, so this article is from Global News. It's a Canadian publication. Uh, you know, it's mostly propaganda, but it's mostly propaganda, but. You know, we can read through this and we can uh, form our own opinions based off of uh, the garbage they're saying. Okay, so, (laughs) no, actually, I just kind of like scanned over it a little bit and it seems to actually provide some some decent information here. But I'm sure it's not the the story and it's, or they're not telling you the reason, the real reason why this is going on, right? Anyway. All right, so headline. The Russian government just resigned. Here's what you need to know. So, the Russian Prime Minister submitted his resignation on Wednesday in a surprised government shakeup. By the way, this article was just published yesterday, January 15th at 5.10 p.m. So, Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev's announcement came shortly after President President Vladimir Putin proposed changes to the Constitution that would allow him to extend his rule in another capacity after his term ends in 2024. While sitting next to Putin, Medvedev said on a state television that he was stepping down to give Putin space to make all the necessary decisions. When these amendments are adopted, most likely after the discussion, as it was said, they will substantially change not only articles of the Constitution, but also the balance of power, executive, legislative, and judicial, said Medvedev. So, when you know everything that's going on with, like, the Great Reset and all of that, and... They're switching up a lot of things and changing things in the Constitution and all of that and changing power within uh, executive, executive and legislative and, and judicial uh, parts of the, the government. It's probably not good. But who knows? <laughs> uh, so... Under the circumstances, it would be correct for the entire government government of the uh, Russian Federation to resign in accordance with Article 
117 of the Constitution. Putin accepted his resignation and said Medvedev would stay on with the Russian government as deputy chairman of the Security Council. Medvedev was the president for one term between 2008 and 2012 before taking on the role of prime minister, which Putin described as probably the longest stint in this post in this post in Russia's recent history. How does the Russian government work? Much like the United States or Canada, Russia has a constitution. Adopted in 1993, the constitution says presidents are elected on six-year terms on the basis of universal, equal, direct suffrage by secret ballot. Whoever is elected president has the power to appoint the government's chairman with permission from the state Duma, the lower house of the Federal Assembly of Russia, similar to Canada's House of Commons. There is also an upper house known as the Federation Council. Its main focus is exercising legislative power. <clears throat> what does Putin want changed? Currently, the president needs the consent of the state Duma to appoint the country's prime minister, who then appoints the head of cabinet, deputies, and all the ministers. In the president's address to the Federal Assembly on Wednesday, Putin proposed sweeping changes that included allowing the state Duma to appoint the prime minister as well as the deputy prime minister and federal ministers at the prime minister's recommendation. Putin also suggested the president have a say in these appointments in order to, do, to dissuade future presidents from turning down candidates approved by the Russian parliament. The proposed changes would significantly expand the influence of the prime minister. Putin, who is in his fourth term as president, came to power in the year 2000. My God. Wow, the guy's been in power for a long time. <laughs> After two terms, he was required to step down. He became prime minister for one term in 2008 before resuming his presidency in 2012. Should he choose to go to that road again and should he and should proposed amendments pass, Putin re could retain power as prime minister. Oral Braun, a professor of international relations and political science of the University of Toronto, Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy, said it was highly unlikely Putin would give up his power after the end of his term. There was always this question of succession, and if he can't succeed constitutionally, what, what would he do? Would he just abandon the Constitution? Would he violate the Constitution? Who would succeed Putin? Today he gave us an answer, said Braun. Right, so it kind of seems like he's just like looking for a way to stay in power, essentially. Uh, if he takes over as prime minister... When he finishes in 2024 as president, there will be a much more powerful prime minister position. For Putin, now 67, the government shakeup was akin to hitting two birds with one stone. Braun said the president was dissatisfied with Medvedev's performance after a rocky year for the Russian economy. His ousting would allow him to both demonstrate his power and bring in someone more reliable, Braun said. Uh, Putin said, certainly 
wants, Putin certainly wants to show that he is indispensable and his way of doing that is to do that by demonstrating the enormous power that he has, said Braun, who described Putin's announcement as showing an extraordinary amount of power that doesn't happen in democracy. He wouldn't need to use so many subterfuges and, and, and so much informality and have the clumsy or unwield, unwielding, unwieldy institution mechanism to control the, uh, the country. And it's all about, therefore, the desire of Vladimir, Put, Vladimir Putin to stay in power so he can do it by constitutional mechanism and be the prime minister. Several Russian politicians have heavily criticized the amendments claiming the proposed Proposed change were all part of Putin's plan to remain in power after he leaves his post at the end of his term. Dmitry Gudkov, an opposition politician, tweeted Putin was rearranging every, everything around himself now instead of waiting for the election outcome in 2024. Sounds like Trudeau a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it kind of also sounds like Biden with the, with the massive electoral fraud that happened too, but... Only difference is Biden has never been president yet and uh, Trudeau has been prime minister and Putin has definitely been president and prime minister. Anyway, constitutional coups like this occur and were and are completely legal, Gudkov said on Twitter. In a series of tweets following the announcement, another opposition politician, Leonid Volkov, argued that Putin was trying to deceive voters. It's clear to everyone that everything is going exclusively towards setting Putin up to rule for life, he said on Twitter. Voters will not buy it. Hmm. Well, maybe the Russian people are a little more awake than here in Canada. <laughs> Putin acknowledged the drastic changes to the political system, but insisted they were necessary moving forward. Considering the maturity of our main pol uh, political organization and parties, as well as the reputation of civil society, I believe these proposals are justified, he said. Putin concluded his speech by stating the amendments needed parliamentary approval in line with the existing procedure and constitutional law. He urged the, urged the executive, legislative, and judicial uh, branches to push his recommendations to a popular vote where the public would will have the option to either approve or deny all of the proposed constitutional amendments. Other proposals to the Russian government included boosting the president's power to appoint all security agency heads and giving the Federa Federation Council the power to dismiss constitutional and Supreme Court judges for misconduct, misconduct stripping them of their judge status. Wow. Hmm. You know, I, I will say, uh, even relating back to something that's happening in uh, Ontario right now, um, there was a um, an MPP, Randy Bomer, I believe is his name. Um, or maybe it was Randy Bombar. Um, don't quote me on that. Anyway, this MPP um, voiced his opinion on the uh, the lockdowns. To in uh, he he voiced his opinion um, in uh, or to towards uh, Doug Ford, 
the um, the premier of Ontario, and the Doug Ford didn't like that. Oh, his name was Roman Baber or Baber. <laughs> anyway, he voiced his opinion. So he's a York Centre MP. Roman uh, Baber was kicked out of caucus simply for opposing the lockdown. There's a petition for this on rebelnews.com. I would highly recommend that you do sign. Um, this guy, Roman, honestly is just stating the truth. Lockdowns are not, um, they're not positive any, in any way. They're affecting people's health more than, uh, they're, they're, they're clearly they are worse than the virus itself for people's health. Suicides are up exponentially. People are losing their businesses. People are losing their livelihood. And yeah, just to relate it back, um, I would say that the person in power or the people in power within any government shouldn't be able to just oust a person, whether it be a judge or, you know, an MPP or anyone who has like a dissenting opinion shouldn't be able to just be kicked out of the political system just for voicing their opinion. You know, like uh, it just, it shouldn't fly like that. Um, Especially because a lot of the time the more contrarian or dissenting opinions are the ones that really actually matter the most in regards to the rights and freedoms of the citizens. And that's why those at the top of government don't like those dissenting opinions and would rather just sort of like brush those to the side and just fire the person or kick them out. And yeah, that shouldn't be the way that it, uh, that obviously government operates, but clearly we're, we're in, this mess has been going on for a long time, right? Like long before COVID-19. So there's, there's a lot of things that would have to change. Anyway, that's Rus- Russia's situation right now. Seems that Putin is trying to extend his position of power and assure that he's essentially either prime minister or president of Russia for eternity until... Does he have kids? Does Putin have kids? That's a great question. Um, until basically someone in, in his family lineage can take over. Anyway, uh, let's get on to... Another country, another government resignation, because we have to see if there's some patterns here. Okay, next article. The next article is by Sky News. I like Sky News. Um, They are an Australian publication. This article is actually from today. Um. Yeah, Sky News, are they Australian? No, they're, uh, they're UK. I thought they were Australian. But unless they're based out of Australia, but they're just a UK sort of um, UK owned, but like ran out of Australia. Anyway, um, I like Sky News. Funny thing is, Sky News would probably be labeled as uh, like a far right news channel or news publication. But it would be labeled as far right by the, um, the far left. <laughs> or basically, the mainstream media would call Sky News um, far right. 
or alt-right. But in reality, Sky News is just uh, real or closer to real journalism. Um, reminds me of like maybe news from like the 1990s or 1980s when things were just a little more centered and there was actual real journalism and people reported the actual news and not just a bunch of lies and propaganda against their own citizens. So uh, yeah, happy I found a little Sky News article here and this one is about Germany. So let's get right into it. Angela Merkel's party has a new leader, but the identity of her successor is not easy to predict. Whoever takes over the titan of German politics will have a tough challenge in making their own mark. <clears throat> Every year, Forbes magazine produces a list of the most powerful women in the world. And in 14 of the past 15 years, it has been the same person. Angela Merkel. German's chancellor has dominated European politics for the last decade and a half. Born in what was West Germany, brought up in the East, and then charged, charged with leading a united nation, she reshaped Germany, often dominated European politics, and also changed her party, the Christian Democratic Union, universally known as the CDU. But now the Merkel era is coming to an end. Miss Merkel was Germany's first woman chancellor. In September, the country will hold an election to choose a new chancellor as she stands down. Merkel will remain as national leader until the election, but will then leave the political stage. Now, I think, just a little side note, when people like her or Putin step out of uh, the role of political leader, often that means that they will, they won't really, they won't be leaving their, their power position. It just means they're stepping out of that po uh, position as political leader, but they're probably going to have just as much power and influence, if not more. And... That's what I think might be going on here. Maybe they're kind of recruiting up these people like Merkel and Putin into like positions within the United Nations so that they can sort of dictate down on the politicians within these various nations and they can sort of be more of just like a UN representative that's in control of the nations. We'll see. Maybe I'm reading into this a little too much, but let's continue with this article. Uh, in September, the country will hold, okay, already read that. Merkel will leave the political stage. The identity of her successor is not easy to predict. The, this weekend, the CDU elected Armin Lachette, the pragmatic governor of Germany's most popular populous state as its new leader. <clears throat> Mr. Lachette defeated Frederick Merz, a conservative and one-time Merkel rival, at an online convention on Saturday of, of the CDU. He won 521 votes to Mr. Merz's 40, 466. 
A third candidate, prominent politician Norbert Rotgen, was eliminated in first round of voting. Mr. Lachette is taking over as leader from Annegret Kramp-Karrenburg, who assumed the job in 2018 after Ms. Merkel's decision to relinquish the CDU role while continuing as chancellor. <clears throat> in reality, of course, it was Miss Merkel who remained as Germany's most important political figure and the inspiration for the CDU. By contrast, Miss Kramp Karrenberg's time in charge was blighted by a series of mistakes and missteps and by the erosion of confidence in her leadership ability. She resigned from the job last year, triggering a leadership election that has been percolating for 11 months. <clears throat> Mr. Lachette is the Prime Minister of North Rhine-Westphalia and a man who makes little secret of his desire to maintain the direction set by Miss Merkel, whose policy framework was famously broad. He sees himself as a modernizer, keen to reach out to younger voters. <laughs> um, Mr. Mers, a former senior banker at the investment giant BlackRock. So I scanned through this article now before reading it. BlackRock. BlackRock was in charge of the redistribution or like distribution of money from the American uh, stimulus packages that went out as this sort of like COVID, uh, COVID relief stimulus. And uh, one thing about BlackRock is, see, most of the majority of the money in this stimulus, as you probably know, isn't just going to American citizens or even small to medium-sized businesses for that matter. The majority of it is actually going to the largest corporations in America. And it's basically being redistributed to them, probably with under the premise that like, here's this money. Now, when it comes time, when decisions are going to be made in regards to COVID, like for example, having to make a requirement for people to wear a mask in your store, for example, let's say they're talking to Walmart, but Walmart's a big player, right? So I mean, God, they're even probably part of the decision-making process. But, you know, it's like, here's this money. Now you're going to follow these rules when it comes time to, for example, uh, impose mask wearing or impose um, customers having to show a health pass to enter a Walmart location. We're giving you this money under the... Um, the premise that you will follow the rules when it comes time to make those very key important decisions in relation to COVID. So essentially these big corporations are going to, are, are bribed and it's just, it's just funny to me how, how like the almighty dollar seems to be all that these people care about sometimes. And I mean, sometimes we're talking about people who are like seemingly good people or like they're, 
they're decent enough people, but they crumb like they crumble when promised like a bribe or you know, in this case, stimulus or a loan. You know, they all of a sudden when it comes to money, it's just funny how everyone has a price and is is willing to like uh, sacrifice their own moral code and set of ethics if they have ethics and all this. Maybe maybe I'm assuming too much of these people, but it's just funny how everyone has a price and everyone can be bought when we're talking about millions of, of dollars, right? So anyway, Mr. Mers, a former senior banker at the investment giant BlackRock, who was the favorite had a mission to take the uh, party back towards a more conservative agenda. He is popular with the business community, but has struggled for support among the party's more liberal supporters. Norbert Rotkin was the outsider in this three-horse race who is renowned for his grasp of foreign affairs, but said that if elected leader, he would pursue a greener agenda. Well, I guess uh, they'll like him for the whole Agenda 2030 thing, the new Green Deal and such. Uh, Mr. Lachette is 59, Mr. Mers is 65, and Miss, Mr. Rotgen is 55. They are all white <laughs> with professional backgrounds. Uh, two of them, Mr. Mers and Mr. Rotgen, were previously fired from jobs by Miss Merkel. Only Mr. Lachette, as a regional leader, has had to make big decisions about how to deal with the pandemic. Certainly, his enthusiasm to loosen restrictions after the first wave now looks questionable. But there is another possibility brewing that the CDU's choice of leader could be unsurped by the party picking someone else to run for chancellor in September. Uh, one choice talked about with ever more gusto would be Mr. Lachette's running mate, Jean Spahn, the German health minister who, whose popularity has blossomed over the past year. There are plenty who think that Mr. Spahn, a 40-year-old happily married gay man whose reputation actually exceeded Miss Merkel's in one recent poll, would offer a fresh modern start. But a more likely contender to run for chancellor could actually be the leader of a completely different party. Marcus Sauter, the prime minister of Bavaria, is the leader of the CDU's much smaller sister party, the CSU. He's considered adept, charismatic, and decisive with the experience of leadership. A recent poll for Spiegel for Spiegel found that among CDU supporters, he was considered the candidate best suited to challenge for the job of chancellor. That decision is for the future. Mr. If Mr. Spahn or Mr. Sauter do throw their hats into the ring, it probably won't happen until April. And by then the CDU will have, will have a new leader. One of Mr. Mayors, Mr. Rodigan, and Mr. Lachette will inherit the, cha uh, the challenge of emerging from the shadow of leader who has been a dominant figure on the global stage for a decade and a half. For the winner, it will be an imposing challenge. All right. Yeah, so, you know, some of these articles are kind of lengthy and it would, you know, I'm trying to draw a comparison with what's going on. Maybe... 
Maybe it's not as much of a uh, a common denominator across the board, but just like when when this friend of mine alerted me to these government resignations, I figured I should cover it. We'll see how much of a um, we'll see how this basically transpires over time. You know whether this is being orchestrated by the current leaders like Putin and Merkel to uh, sort of step down from their positions but still hold power while also allowing, you know, the sort of world control organizations like the UN to step in. Only with time will we truly know if that's what's happening here. But let's move on to another article and see if we can draw any more comparisons. Okay, so feel like I'm taking a little trip around the world here. Let's get to the next article. This one's by the Globe and Mail. I'm also trying to shift up who we're getting our news from here. Um, <clears throat> so, and this one is uh, the Dutch government. So the Dutch government resigns over child welfare scandal. And again, this is from yesterday. Okay. Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte speaks during a news conference in The Hague on January 15th, 2021. Uh, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte and his entire cabinet resigned Friday to take political responsibility for a scandal involving investigations into child welfare payments that wrongly labeled thousands of parents as fraudsters. Like, I don't know. I find it kind of odd that uh, a politician would take responsibility for, for something. <laughs> is that just, uh, is that like a Dutch thing? I don't know. Um, <laughs> certainly they don't take responsibility in Canada. <laughs> they just say, uh, they just go to St. Bart's and then say it was, uh, it was an honest mistake. I've learned my lesson as I, uh, as I am now sitting here with a, uh, a beautiful tan um, after enjoying many cocktails on the beach. But uh, I've learned my lesson. And coronavirus is... COVID-19 is, is very serious and I shouldn't have done what I did. But at the time, it slipped my mind that we were in a quote-unquote pandemic. Sorry, guys. Anyway, honest mistake. Uh, <laughs> anyway... Uh, Investigations into a child welfare payments that were wrongly labeled thousands of parents as fraudsters. In a nationally televised speech, Mr. Rutt said he had informed King Willem Alexander of his decision and pledged that his governments would continue to work to compensate affected parents as quickly as possible and to battle the coronavirus, of course. Gotta get that in there. We are one of we are one of one mind that if the whole system has failed, we all must take responsibility, and that has led to the conclusion that I have just offered the king the resignation of the entire cabinet. Mr. Rutt said. Hmm. <clears throat> the conclusion okay, so we are, we are of one mind that if the whole system has failed, like, 
I guess maybe he's just talking about the system of this child wel- welfare program, but like that, those are, you know, some strong words. Um, not long after delivering his statement, Mr. Rutt got on his bicycle. I love this part. <laughs> got on his bicycle and rode to the royal palace in a forest in The Hague to formally inform the king. My God. Well, <laughs> Dutch television showed him parking his bike at the bottom of the steps leading into the palace and walking inside. Because, yeah, these people are, you know... Over there, they have more of a, uh, they're more like environmental, envir- environmentalist uh, sort of oriented in this. So um, <clears throat> the move was seen as largely symbolic. Mr. Rutt's government will remain in office in a caretaker, caretaker mode until a new coalition is formed after a March 17th election in the Netherlands. The resignation brings to an end a decade in office for Mr. Rutt, although his party is expected to win the election, putting him first in line to begin talks to form the next government. If he succeeds in forming a new coalition, Mr. Rutt would most likely again become prime minister. Geert Wilders, the leader of the largest opposition party in the Dutch parliament, said it was the right decision for the government to quit. Innocent people have been criminalized, their lives destroyed, and Parliament was informed about it inaccurately and incompletely, he tweeted. The Netherlands is the third European country thrown into political uncertainty this week in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. Okay, this is getting good. In Estonia... The government resigned over a corruption scandal, while Italian Premier Giuseppe Conte's governing coalition is at risk of collapse after a small partner party withdrew its support. So this I like because they're also acknowledging the other European countries that are also going through this process of uh, resignation of government and... um, and like collapse happening in multiple countries. So I will definitely also get to articles about um, Italy and Estonia as well. Uh, Mr. Rutt said earlier this week that his government would be able to keep taking tough policy decisions in the battle against the coronavirus, even if it were in a in caretaker mode. Now that to me... That's kind of striking because like caretaker mode means like you're just sort of, uh, you know, babysitting. But maybe then what that means is these um, higher up organizations are beginning to get their tentacles into government more as the actual government resigns and goes into caretaker mode. I don't know. Am I reading into this too much? Only time will tell. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Italy, Estonia. Mr. Rutt said earlier this week that his government would be able to uh, keep taking tough policy decisions in the battle against the coronavirus, even if it were in a caretaker mode. The Netherlands is in tough lockdown until at least February 9th. 
and the government is considering imposing an overnight curfew amid fears about new, more contagious variants of the virus. Yeah, that's another thing as well. They're constantly trying to push this new narrative that there's like other strains and mutations of the virus. That's, you know, they're, they're trying to push that narrative around the world. To the Netherlands, I say, our struggle against the coronavirus will continue, Mr. Rutt said. God, they, these, these politicians are really just actors. And that's, a, that's around the globe. There are some countries where I feel like they don't completely own the government quite as much. I've kind of noticed that trend with countries like, for example, Belarus, Mexico, Brazil, Tanzania. Those are some of the main ones. Um, anyway, Jesse Clever, the leader of one opposition party, told national broadcaster NOS he would continue to support the government in its coronavirus campaign. Coronavirus campaign. <laughs> Just talking about it like it's marketing. Hey, at least it's more honest, eh? On Thursday, the leader of the opposition Labour Party stepped down because he was Minister of Social Affairs in a coalition led by Mr. Rutt when the country's tax office implemented a tough policy of tracking down fraud with child welfare. A sitting minister, Eric Weebs, who also was linked to the scandal, said Friday he was resigning with immediate effect and would not be part of the caretaker administration. At Friday's cabinet meeting, ministers decided their reaction to a scathing parliamentary report issued last month titled Unprecedented Injustice that said the tax office policies violated the fundamental principles of the rule of law. The report also criticized the governments for the way it provided information to Parliament above about the scandal. Many wrongfully accused parents were plunged into debt when tax officials demanded repayment of payments. The government has in the past apologized for the tax office's methods and in March earmarked $500 million, uh, bracket $770 million, to compensate, oh, 500 million uh, euros, which is 770 mil, uh, million US dollars, to compensate more than 20,000 parents. And these are the people we pay our tax dollars to? Come on. <laughs> In a written reaction, the government pledged to reform the welfare system as a result of the scandal and to quickly pay affected parents 30,000 euros or 46,000 each and expand existing compensa compensation schemes. Everything is aimed at offering the parents and their children a new start in life, the government said. One of the parents waited near Parliament as the cabinet met and said she wanted it to resign. It's important for me because it is the government's acknowledging. We have made a mistake and we are taking responsibility. Because it's quite something what happens to us, Janet Remisar said. I guess that's one of the parents. Mr. Rutt plans to lead his conservative P 
People's Party for Freedom and Democracy into the March election, and polls suggest it will win mo- in the most seats. That would put Mr. Rutt, who has been in office for a decade at the head of three different coalitions, first in line to attempt to form the next ruling coalition. But he said that it was up to voters at the election to decide on his future, noting that he took ultimate responsibility for failing within his government. The buck stops here, he said. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) I don't know. Well, maybe the Dutch government's a little better than Canada. But I don't think that politicians are really ever held, especially in, in, in recent years, especially in the last year, they're not held accountable. They get away with murder, literally. Okay, so that is that article. Let's move along. Let's move along to, uh, let's move to Italy. And then I think we'll do Estonia after that. And then I think, you know what? Maybe we'll even do Kuwait. But let's definitely cover Italy and Estonia. On to the next article. Let's go. Okay, moving along. Let's talk about the Italian government. Uh, This article is by Bloomberg. And it reads... Italy government on verge of collapse as Renzi party quits. This article is from January 13th. So it says, Italy's government led by Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte risks collapsing in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic after a junior coalition partner pulled out. Former Premier Matteo Renzi said his Italy Alive party is quitting the coalition attacking Conte for failing to do enough to tackle the country's problems. Through the par- though the party is tiny, Conte relies on it to maintain his majority in parliament. Renzi's decision sparks a government crisis which could last, or e- last days or even weeks and has no clear solution in sight. After accepting the minister's resignation, Conte could step down himself. That would likely trigger a new round of talks among parties and lead to another Conte government a new premier, or a technocratic administration. Technocratic administration. Hmm. Snap elections, although a risk, appear unlikely for now. Act of courage. Pulling out at such a crucial moment for the uh, country amongst to an act of courage, Renzi said at a new news conference in Rome, Conte's government has not done enough to resolve problems from education to infrastructure, as well as the virus, the ex-premier said. We are not playing, Renzi said, addressing critics who have accused his party of political posturing during weeks of build-up to the current crisis. Democracy is not a reality show. Investors have reacted to the heightened uncertainty. uh, German... German Bund futures rose about 20 ticks to their highest of the day after the announcement, while Italy Treasury bond futures fell. The cost of borrowing for the Italian government has risen modestly in recent days on concerns of political instability. The timing of the crisis for Conte could hardly be worse, with with Italy battling a worsening pandemic and a recession. A cabinet meeting scheduled for Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. is due to discuss new virus-related restrictions, while on Thursday, Conte is set to sign off on a plan to widen the country's deficit by about 24 billion euros, or 29 billion USD. Uh, Renzi said 
that his party is still willing to back plans for more deficit spending and any measures necessary to tackle the pandemic. He didn't rule out a new government led by Conti, but said Italy Alive won't support any coalition, including Matteo Salvini's League, an anti-migrant, anti-EU opposition party. Nicola Singaretti, head of the ruling Democratic Party, said Renzi's move was a huge mistake. Presidential role. With Renzi's two ministers now exiting the government, the focus turns to President Sergio Mattarella, who met with Conte earlier Wednesday. The president's role, largely ceremonial, also includes responsibilities for safeguarding the country's political stability. If, Com- if Conte opts to resign, he could be given a mandate by Mattarella to try to forge a new alliance. Alternatively, the premier could seek a parliamentary vote of confidence, but if he fails to win over enough centrist and unaffiliated lawmakers to replace Renzi's Italy Alive, the government would become a caretaker administration with limited powers. There we have it again, this caretaker administration. I believe it was um, the Dutch government said the exact exact same thing. Um, so... I don't know. Seeing this phrase a lot kind of seems like something that's being orchestrated. (laughs) Read more. Um, Read more. (laughs) Conte's option to prevent Ally from uh, toppling Italy's government. Um, The existing coalition parties, including Italy Alive, could also try to revive their alliance under a different premier, such as an ex-European central bank president, Mario Draghi. Hmm ex-European central bank president, Mario Draghi. (laughs) Um, That's another common theme. These bankers taking over the role of um, premier or president. Uh, They'll likely explore a range of options to avoid a new election. As surveys show, the Salvini-led center-right would likely win if the country is forced into a snap vote. The impact of Renzi's move on Italy's fragile economy will depend on what will happen next said Lorenzo Pregliasco, a political analyst at Utrend. A snap vote, the worst scenario for investors, remains unlikely at this stage. Unfinished business. The crisis couldn't come at a worse time for Italy. Here's what's at stake if Conti's government loses its support in Parliament. Uh, Virus. Italy is due to approve uh, on January 13th further restrictions to movement and restaurants. Vaccine. After a slow start, the, cap, uh, the campaign has accelerated, but much more is needed to reach herd immunity by the second half of the year. Deficit. The government must seek approval for EU $24 billion of extra deficit. Stimulus. The money is crucial to ensure businesses hit by virus restrictions receive aid. Banks. Italy is pushing ahead with the sale of Monte Pasci to unit credit but coalition tensions risk stalling the process. Autos trade. Casa Deposit e Prestiti and Forest Funds are preparing a new bid for a majority stake in in Atlantis's toll road unit. Uh, It also says the relaunch of the bankrupt carrier is stalled amid a cash crunch and EU scrutiny. Renzi had been 
dialing up the pressure on Conte since last year, slamming the Prime Minister's plans for managing and spending European Union rescue funds. Renzi says the plan has been improved following his demands, but he has been insisting on further conditions, including that Italy tap a European stability mechanism credit line for health spending. The real issue is, should we spend more money on health with the ESM? Renzi said following his announcement on Wednesday. So, uh, again, it's another situation where it seems like there's this, this like indecisiveness between the parties, whether it be orchestrated or real. But it seems like, I don't, I, it kind of seems like they're being told to sort of fake instability or, or tension so that they can then go into a caretaker government position. And then who knows what happens after that. Okay, let's move along to Estonia. This one's by The Guardian. So, Estonian government collapses over corruption investigation. Prime Minister resigns after party named as suspect in inquiry into property project. Estonia's Prime Minister has resigned after police and prosecutors launched an investigation into an alleged corruption scandal involving his left-leaning center party related to a property development. So already this one kind of reminds me of the Dutch government with their uh, child welfare scandal or supposed. Well, I mean, I'm sure it's real, but it just depends what they're digging up, right? Uh, Juri Ratas, the prime minister since 2016, handed his resignation letter to the president on Wednesday. Local media reported bringing down the center-right coalition government he heads that also includes a far-right party. The suspicion expressed by the public prosecutor's office does not mean that someone is definitely guilty, but it will inevitably cast a serious shadow o- over all those involved, Ratas said on, face- on his Facebook page. <laughs> In such a situation, it seems only right that by resigning myself, I will give the opportunity to shed light on all the facts and come to clarity. The Prime Minister added he had not made any malicious or knowingly wrong decisions. He took the decision after meeting party officials on Tuesday night, hours after the Centre Party was declared a suspect into a criminal investigation over the financing of a property development project in the capital, Tallinn. Rattus lost the 2019 general election to the center-right reform party, but prevented the victors from taking power by forming a coalition with the conservative Fatherland Party and the far-right anti-EU EKRE. Estonia's president, Kirsti Kaljulad, now has 14 days to name a new prime minister who will have to be approved by parliament. There will be elections if no candidate for, pre, uh, for premier can command a majority among MPs. The investigation centers on a property company called Porto Franco, which received a 39 million euro state loan and struck a lucrative deal with authorities in Tallinn, whose major is a member of the Centre Party for Development in the Old City Harbour. The party is accused of accepting donations from a businessman linked to Porto Franco, Hilar Tedder. Among other suspects in the investigation is Kirsty Krecht, uh, an advisor to the finance minister, Martin Helm from EKRE. Rattus said, as head of government, I did not feel in, feel in the Porto Franco case that any mistakes or party had tried to influence the decisions taken by the government in an illegal way. 
The resignation comes a day before the coalition government was due to vote on an EKRE proposal for a national referendum on the definition of marriage to be held this spring. So that is also an article from January 13th. So as you can see, they're also all coming out at the same time, which is super suspicious. Okay, this is going to be the last one that I read. This is um, the Kuwait government, and this is by an article by uh, Yahoo News. All right, so Kuwait's government quits, quits, deepening political deadlock. And this is from Tuesday, January 12th. Dubai United Arab Emirates, Kuwait's cabinet submitted its resignation Tuesday, the latest development in a cycle of clashes between the government and lawmakers that long has convulsed the shikdom with the strongest parliament in the Gulf. The move, while not a surprise after some 30 lawmakers backed a no-confidence motion against the government this month, reveals how the country's politicking uh, has caused instability, diminished public confidence, and aggravated the oil-rich state's worst economic crisis in decades. The minister's the ministers quit after the recently elected member of parliaments, more than 60% of them new faces, grilled the prime minister to protest his new cabinet appointments. The decision to reinstate the old parliament speaker, who hails from an elite merchant family, stirred anger among new lawmakers skeptical of corruption in the country's patronage system. The prime minister must now submit the resignations to the country's ruling emir, Sheikh Nuaf El-Amad El-Sabah, who is widely expected to accept them. During their interrogation of the Prime Minister Sheikh Sabah Al-Khalad Al-Hamad Al-Sabah <laughs> last week, lawmakers accused him of staffing the cabinet with pro provocative and unqualified members. According to local media, according to local media, other sore points include included the choices for Interior Minister and Justice Minister who opposed a draft law on Kuwait's stateless people that Parliament had hoped to pass. The tensions boiled over in last week's Parliament session with footage showing shouting matches and physical brawls in the chamber. What? <laughs> Security guards struggled to restrain lawmakers wearing traditional headdress and robes as they clambered over rows of chairs, screaming at supporters and friends of the Parliament Speaker. They do things a little different over there, I guess. <laughs> the lawmakers are trying to bring reforms, but they feel their hands are tied because the government keeps bringing in the same old faces, said Mohammed Al-Yusuf, an independent Kuwaiti political analyst. analyst. The system is designed to create deadlock. The resignation of the government raises concerns that the emir may dissolve parliament and force a second election in as many, in as many months. It wouldn't be the first time... It wouldn't be the first time. Kuwait's unusual combination of an emir-appointed government and elected parliament frequently gives rise to wrangling that analysts say impede the country's economic and social progress. The parliament can introduce legislation and question minister ministers, though the country's emir reigns ultimate authority and ruling family members hold senior posts. Last year, the rating agency Moody's downgraded Kuwait for the first time in its history as the coronavirus pandemic and plunging oil prices burned a hole in the country's finances. Even with the Treasury rapidly depleting, the government has no legal framework to deficit spend beyond its current limit of $33 billion without parliamentary approval.
Lawmakers have fiercely opposed raising the debt ceiling, fearing the money will be pillaged thanks to corruption. Okay. So I think you can see a common trend across the board here. Um, it seems like there's political, political turmoil in all of these different countries. And it's kind of a matter of, is this something that is being uh, executed and orchestrated um, either within the political system or from outside entities called the ruling class or, you know, the corporate elite, which is above government? Um, is, it, is it them orchestrating it or is this literally all because of, you know, COVID-19 and the, more importantly, the lockdowns imposed by governments that are ca causing these, this political turmoil and, uh, and that's why th these governments are all resigning. But to me, it seems very orchestrated. Um, again, we, I, I read articles from Russia, Germany, the Netherlands, uh, Italy, Estonia, and Kuwait. So we, we have a lot of examples there of uh, numerous countries where all of the governments are resigning. I guess we'll see what happens. Only time will tell uh, where this actually goes. But my theory is this is probably something that's orchestrated so that the UN and World Economic Forum can step in and say, well, it's clear that with uh, the pandemic and uh, economic collapse, um, governments are, are also collapsing with their economies and we need to step in to basically provide a solution in these unprecedented times. And maybe that's the move into one world government. We shall see. All right, guys, that's going to be it for this episode of Debunked Daily. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, guys, it's not a conspiracy theory if it's blatantly obvious, hard evidence that's staring you right in the face. <laughs> All right. Stay strong, keep spreading the word, and I'll see you in the next one.